We are studying the parables of Jesus Christ. The last year in the ministry of Christ, Jesus starts teaching in parables. Part of the reason of that is to conceal truth. Part of that is to reveal truth. We've talked about the kingdom parables, the eight kingdom parables in which Jesus uh, starts in that last year of his ministry, and he starts with those parables. And basically, they, they talk about who's in the kingdom of God, uh, what's it cost to be in the kingdom of God, and, and how God is going to take care of that kingdom. And, and there's a time of sorting of who's real and who's not. And then we go a little bit farther, and we're into the middle section of parables right now. We'll go back and catch the others hit or miss in this study. But right now, I'm, I'm dealing with some of the groups. And we're in the group right now of parables called the group of the lost things. Some people see this as one parable with three parts, or in some cases, even four parts. Other people see this as three or four separate parables. And we're looking at the concept of there, there are three separate parables. We've talked about the parable of the lost uh, sheep. We talked about the parable of the lost coin. And now this morning, we're going to talk about the parable of the lost son. Uh, some people divide it into a fourth, and they look at it as the parable of the lost son and the parable of the elder son. Uh, we combine them together when we're talking about this. You know this story, if you've been around Christianity for a while, as the, the parable of the prodigal son. And we're going to talk about that this morning. So we've got a large section to read, but it's important and uh, to lay our groundwork as we go through it. So here we go. Luke chapter 15, here's what it says. Jesus continued. There was a man, in other words, he's continuing on in his story. He's told the sheep, and now the coin thing, and now he goes... And Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of my estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. He squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When it came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. So he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, The older son was in the field. When he came to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants, and he said, he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, 
You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. He is alive again. He was lost and is found. So that's the story. Now, you know it as the story of the prodigal son. Nowhere in this passage or in the Bible is he called the prodigal son. In fact, he's not even the focus of the story. Uh, This is a story of a loving father. And this is a story of an angry son. Uh, We know that because as you look through the story, you see in, 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 in a story, we look at what the climax is of a story. It builds to this confrontation with the oldest son. It's also interesting when you look at this story, the primary conversation is, a, is between the father and the older son, not the father and the younger son. But there's a ton of material here. Charles Dixon, Dick, Dickens called this the greatest story ever told. Uh, it's a masterful story in, in the way that it's organized. Um, but let's understand it, and I'm going to do my best to... You can go down a hundred paths on this story. And I'm going to try to stay on the main one, okay? And that's going to be very, very hard, but I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, When you look at this story, uh, it's fascinating because there's just, like I say, there's so many parts to this. Let's remember the background because that helps us here. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, the whole thing started because the Pharisees were mad. They were angry because Jesus is eating with publicans and sinners. So Jesus tells these stories, and the focus of the story is not, the focus of his stories is the joy and rejoicing when something is found. So when we have the sheep, it's not, the story's not about the sheep, it's about finding the sheep and rejoicing. When it's the coin, it's not about the coin, it's about finding the coin and rejoicing. In the sun, it's not about the sun, it's about finding the sun, the sun coming back and rejoicing. And then he caps it all off with, the response of the older son to this whole thing. And so as we walk through it, let's, let's kind of take it step by step and, and put the pieces together, and then we'll get into some application. So let's talk about the younger son first. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I, I think you've got to understand his mindset. Um, in this culture, to dishonor a dad by what this younger son done was, was one of the heights of, of arrogancy. Um, this younger son basically comes to dad and is saying, dad, you're not dying soon enough. I want my money now. Um, he was the younger son. So what that means is that the most he would have gotten was a third. Uh, the older son gets a double portion. So let's say there's only two of them. Then we, the older son would have gotten two thirds. Younger son would have gotten a third. There's a daughter involved, which we don't know from this story. Uh, then the younger son would have gotten less because some of it would have gone to the, the daughter for a dowry. So we know the most he could have gotten was a third. He gathers it all up, and you know what, you know the story. He takes off and decides to go and, and, and splurge and do whatever he wants to do. There's a lot of things that we understand about the younger son right off the bat. We understand that, uh, first of all, he wanted freedom, thinking that freedom meant I went to a place with no rules. And the reality of it was he found bondage instead of freedom. Uh, we know from a, a fact that he never learned to value money. Uh, 
he apparently had had an awful lot given to him. Uh, he never learned how to work. We know that because when he finally comes to a point where the money has run out, he has to go get a job, and the only job that he's qualified for is to feed hogs. And you see, in this culture, a young person would have learned to trade from dad, but apparently this kid didn't. So this kid, at some point, has never learned how to work. Uh, there's a great thing running around on, on social media this week, and, and maybe I'll post it on my Facebook page. But uh, it was called, uh, it was entitled, uh, 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 Cows Don't Give Milk. I don't know if you saw it this week, but it really fits the story. Um, a dad had a, a farmer had a, a son. He said, when, when you turn 12, I'm going to tell you the secret of life. So the kid was always looking forward to this. He turned 12. And so dad said, okay, it's time for you to learn the secret of life. He walked out to the field and they got a cow and he brought it back to the barn. And they tied it up. He put out the little milking stool thing. And, and I, don't, I guess you tie up a tail or something or you do something anyway. So he starts to milk this thing. And, and he said, uh, son, here's the secret to life. He said, cows don't give milk. He said, cows make milk. But if you want milk, you have to go and milk it. You have to work for it. He said, that's the secret to life, is to learn to work. And he said, and basically the idea is we're, we're raising a generation of people that think everything should be given to them. And they don't know how to work for it themselves. This kid had never learned that. This kid had never learned to milk. And so this kid gets to a point that, and again, you have to understand the context of the story. He's talking to the Pharisees. And so in the mind of the Pharisees, they're struggling with this because the idea of a Jewish boy working for a Gentile feeding pigs was just a, it was a, it was a place they couldn't go in their minds. And every aspect that Jesus adds to this story just, just puts a burr up their back even more. You know, first of all, he came and he, he, he disrespected his dad. You don't do that. You don't. How dare this kid do that? And then the dad gave in. How dare that dad do that? And how dare this kid go out and spend it on wild living as a Pharisee? That was, you just, you don't do that. And then you really don't go to work for a Gentile hog farmer if you're a Jew. And it got to the point that as a Jewish boy, he is carrying a bucket of slop out to the field to the hogs, and he's going, boy, that looks, like, that looks better than anything I've had in the last day or two. And for some reason, he couldn't eat it. I don't know if he's afraid the, the owner would get mad or he loses his job or whatever else, but he's going, this is better than anything I And then as he's walking down, he's going, you know what? My dad's servants... Throw away better food than this. They've got more than enough. My dad treats his servants better than I'm being treated. Maybe I should go back to dad and ask for a job. So he comes to himself. He repents. That's a big part of the story. He repents and he goes back to his dad. And he says, I'm going to go to dad and say, look, I've messed up big time. Can I come work for you? So he leaves this area, and he goes, and he heads back home. Now, I want to talk about the dad for a second in relationship to the son. 
because there's a couple things we miss when we talk, read this story. You remember when the text said that he saw his son afar off? Remember that? Okay. You remember when I talked about the houses a couple weeks ago? If you live in a place like this, how do you see your kid afar off? The only way you're going to see somebody far off is if you're looking for them. So it tells me something about the father. It tells me that this father was looking for his kid to come back. It also tells me something else where it says he ran to meet him. Now, you need to understand that. We don't get that. In this culture, for someone elderly to run was unheard of. Old people don't run. Old people walk slowly and they are respected and they're honored and no one sits down until they're in the room and they are the center of attention. They do not disgrace themselves by running. Some of you can go, see, I don't have to exercise. Um, No, it's not the point. The point is for this dad to see him afar off, man, he was watching for him, For him to make a beeline running for him meant he was not concerned about what anybody else thought. And again, to the Pharisees, this is just, every point that Jesus is making, they're getting tighter and tighter. Because he runs, and think about this for a minute. Guess what he smelled like? Pig. And he embraces him and hugs him. And then the text says, he says, bring me a new Robe. Don't go get his old coat. Go get me a new robe for him. Bring my bring a ring, which meant that was a symbol of power. That was a symbol of family. And sandals for his feet. Servants did not have shoes or sandals. Because that was a mark of somebody who was higher up in society. So the fact that he says put sandals on his feet means he's restoring him to a different level. And then he says, you know that great, big, fat turkey that we've been, we've been all getting ready for for Thanksgiving? We're going to butcher it today. We're going to celebrate because my lost son is back. That's the story that you have. And Jesus tells this story masterfully. Contrasted with, there's a time of joy, of celebration. Everybody's excited, except the older brother. Where's the older brother? He's out working. He's out working the field, making daddy money. Of course, technically, it's his field now, so he needs to be working. He's out working hard, doing all of the chores, doing all of the stuff. He comes in at the end of a long day, ready to sit down in his recliner, put his feet up, get something to drink, and he hears a lot of noise, and he goes, what in the world is that? You haven't heard? Your brother, he's come back. And your dad, he took the turkey that we were saving for Thanksgiving, and he's eating it now. And immediately... The older brother is mad. He's angry. And he actually goes to the door of the party where the party is happening. Stands there. 
He won't go in. Somebody goes, hey, hey, Dad, your old, the oldest son's out the door. Oh, tell him to come on in. We're having a great time. The brother's found. Da, da, da. Have him come on in. He ain't coming in. He ain't coming in. What does Dad do? I think this is fascinating. This is important. Dad goes out to meet his brother. Dad goes out to meet the older brother. Just like Dad ran to the field to go meet the younger son, Dad goes out to sit and talk with the son, with the oldest son. And he goes, hey, what's, how's your day? What's the problem? How dare you? How dare you celebrate him? Don't you know he shamed you when he took your money? He went out and wasted it on stuff that we don't approve of. And the whole time, he has disgraced our family name. And now you have the audacity to have a party for him? Are you kidding me, Dad? I've been here the whole time. I have worked my tail off for you. I have done everything you asked me. I have done exactly what you wanted for me as your child. You never so much as gave me a goat to have a party with my friends. That, and it's interesting, that son of yours, that son of yours has shamed you and you dare have a party for him? It's interesting. You know what dad does? Dad said, look, everything I've got is still yours. You wanted a party, you could have had one. But your brother was gone, and now he's back. And we're going to celebrate that. It's interesting. The story ends with dad walking back inside to party, and older son standing outside, mad, angry, bitter, and ticked. That's where he ends the story. Those of you who are big students of the Bible, it's a fascinating, there's a fascinating parallel between the life of Jonah at the end and the life of the older son here, where they're both sitting outside pouting. So there's a ton of, there's a ton of lessons um, when we get to this story um, as far as, as what God does. So I want to address it two ways. I want to look at it. the father's response to the younger son and the father's response to the older son. The father's response to the younger son. Um, I think there's a lot of great parenting advice here in the way dad handles it. I know that there's a lot of you that you've tried to do what's right by your kids, and your kids, as they have grown up, have turned their backs on what you've taught them and maybe gone a different route, want nothing to do with it. And I know that's hard. Let me give you some advice here. I'll give you some counsel here. First of all, you're not alone. God was the first brokenhearted parent. He put Adam and Eve in an absolutely perfect environment. He did everything absolutely right. He gave them every opportunity. And yet Adam and Eve came to a point where they said, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to go our own way. So first of all, here's what I would say to you. God understands. God understands your heartache. God understands your, your, your hurt. It's not your fault. It's their choice. Um, there's nothing because God gave Adam and Eve the opportunity to make a choice, free will. Adam and Eve are responsible for the choice, not God. 
So your kids come to a point in life where, honestly, you can't, all you can do is pray for them because it's their call. They have to live with that choice and that consequence. In this particular situation, the son comes and starts demanding things of dad, and dad decides that he's going to give him what he wants. And here's what's interesting in this story. Dad lets him go. We don't read in the story that dad went from town to town to town looking for him. We read that dad was watching for him to come back over the hill, praying, hoping for the day that his son came back. But here's the thing that's important to understand. In the story, dad waits until the son comes to the end of himself. He allows his son to hit rock bottom. This is one of the hardest things to deal with as a parent, is to let go to the point of, if they crash, I want to be there to help them crash, but I'm not going to enable them to crash. I'm not going to subsidize their behavior. I'm going to let them go until, and it's important to understand the story, until they come to themselves. I watch too many situations where parents are manipulated by their kids because of guilt or fear or whatever else. And what happens is, as the kid starts to go down the tubes and go down a dark road, they drag the parents with them. In this story, the parents don't allow their kid's decision to drag them down. They let them go. Uh, When I was in college, one of the ways that I made money was I was a lifeguard. So I spent... uh, six, eight years being a lifeguard through college and actually even into my first uh, job. And uh, one of the first things that you learn in, in life, when you life-saving, a lifeguard, is this. Your last resort is to go in the water. They teach you that. You see somebody drowning, the last thing you ever do as a lifeguard is get in the water. You find something to throw to them, You find something to get to them, because right now, if they drown, one person goes down. The second you enter the water, now we can have two drowns. The last resort is to get in the water. And what I watch so many times is I watch kids go down, and they start dragging their parents down this deep, dark hole because the parents won't let go, and the parents continue to subsidize bad behavior, and ultimately what happens is it brings them both down. This dad is smart enough, is wise enough to say, okay, I'll let you go. I'll watch for you. I'll pray for you. And when you come back, you come back on my terms, not yours. And that's what you see. This kid comes back, not saying, hey, dad, make me a son. I want everything like it was. He comes back and goes, hey, just let me have a job with you. And when he's repented and he comes back on dad's terms, not his terms, dad is more than overwhelming to, to, to embrace him. And I think we forget that. And I see that sometimes in parenting with this idea of these kids make bad decisions and we, 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 we keep enabling them, subsidizing them, enabling them, subsidizing them. And one of the hardest things is to confront them and to say, this is the way it's got to be. And I've said this, you know, I've said this often to my kids. Um, if you want to go down the right path, I will do everything in my power to help you. But if you want to go down the wrong path, You're on your own. I won't subsidize it. I won't help it. I won't enable it. um, Because I want you to make the right decision. 
You go, well, that's manipulating your kids. Call it what you want. I think it's parenting. Um, and, I, and I would say that to anybody. I have that discussion often with people in my office. I'm like, you know what? If you want to do what's right, I'll bend over backwards. But if you want to go down, if you want to go another route, I'm not the person to help you. I'm not. Um, I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell it to you in love, and I'll tell you what you need to do. It's your call. One of the things that I see about dad is that dad had created a home where this kid realized he was welcome and he could possibly come back. That speaks something to the kinds of homes that we have, where our kids want to be a part of it. Um, that's important. I think that's important. We provide, there, there was enough safety and comfort in the way that dad treated his employee that he realized it would be better to work for dad as a, as a worker. And then you'd notice the response to dad when he comes back. Dad is looking, and when he sees his son, he runs and he embraces a pig-smelling, stinking child who has made a bunch of dumb decisions. And he hugs him, and he says, go bring me the best robe we've got. Put it on him. Pig-smelling son, put it on him. Go get a ring for him. My son's back. Go get some shoes, because his feet smell like pig, and he's been walking, and he's dirty, and he's at the bottom of the... Put some sandals on him. He's my son. And take the best thing that we have in this place for another event, and we're going to celebrate today. It's a picture of salvation. It's exactly what Jesus does to us. Embraces us, loves us, gives us a, the, his robes of righteousness, puts us in a place of sonship. No longer, It's a perfect picture of that. And God embraces this, and, and the Father embraces his Son. Contrast, and there's joy. By the way, every story we've told, sheep, coin, son, rejoice, rejoice, joy, joy, six times. Now, the table is turned, and we talk about, we end the story with the anger of the oldest son. The self-righteousness of the oldest son to sit there and say, how dare you do this for him? You ought to do this, you ought to be doing it for me. I'm so much better than him. And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to get across to these Pharisees. I think, personally, I think Jesus has purposely chosen every one of these stories to get harder and harder and harder into the heart of the Pharisees. Because when Jesus starts this story and he talks about a shepherd, the Pharisees going, shepherd, can't keep the law like I do. They probably haven't been to synagogue in a year. They're out with a bunch of sheep. They can't keep their hands washed. All the things that I do, the prayers on the corners, like everybody can see me. <laughs> shepherd. Woman. <laughs> Don't talk to me about women. Oh, oh, boy, thank God I wasn't born a woman. God loved me more than that. That was their attitude. Jewish boy feeding pigs, I would never do that. I would never go down that road. How, how can I even think of doing that as a Jewish boy? I'm glad I'm not. I'm glad, I'm glad, so glad God didn't make me a Gentile, and so glad that I never got to that point. Because these are the same people who are looking at Jesus and say, how dare you eat with publicans and sinners? 
we are so much, but we would never do that. Jesus zeroes in on their self-righteous pride attitude and says, how dare you think that way? How dare you not realize? We rejoice over sheep. We rejoice over coin. We rejoice when a lost son comes home. How dare you then sit there and say, we should not rejoice. We should be angry because you are eating with publicans and sinners. And here's where we're going to go this morning. Some of you aren't going to like it, but I don't like it either because I had to go down this road this week, and now you do too. I started thinking about the story and thought, you know what? I'm not selfish. I, you know, I mean, I, you know, I believe that Jesus died for everyone and I have no problem sharing the gospel with people and stuff. And I started thinking, but then I took it a little bit step further and started to ask myself, Lord, this is a dangerous prayer to pray. So just, I, I, I shouldn't have prayed it this week, but I did. Lord, are there areas in my life that I, I, I have this self-righteous attitude? And like I said, I should never pray that prayer. I'm just telling you. Because it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was driving. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And here's what it was. I don't want to go down this road. Here we go. One of the most controversial things right now in our culture is masks. You want to strike up a conversation with somebody and say, hey, what do you think about the mask thing? Because I guarantee you, I don't care who they are, they got an opinion. And they're pretty adamant about their opinion, most people. And if you were to corner me and ask me, I will give you my opinion. As a pastor, I have a different role. I have to make opinion. I have to make a decision on the board. We have to make a decision for the whole group. So we have to take a lot of stuff into consideration. But I have my personal opinion. You need to know my opinion is right. (laughs) And you need to know I have studied my opinion. I have researched my opinion. I know what I believe on this, and I know why. But let's say your opinion is different than my opinion. What's my attitude towards you now? I'm so much better than you. You are so dumb. You got no clue what you're even talking about. You just swallowing everything everybody gives you, and you have no clue. If you had the knowledge that I have, and you had the research that I had, and you were as smart as me, you would believe me instead of all of that stuff you're believing. Because I get to look down on you because I am better than you because of my opinion. And I said, oh, Lord, I don't do that. (laughs) Guess what? If I'm not careful, as a child of God, I let self-righteousness start to creep into my life that I'm better than somebody else because of my view on fill-in-the-blank. Politics, mass, social distancing, vaccine, just fill-in-the-blank. And what happens is, if we're not careful, that, that, that little seed of self-righteousness, that we're better than somebody else because of what we believe or what we think or what we say or whatever else, starts to creep in our life. And before we know it, we're starting to look down on people in pride and arrogance instead of humility, and we go down the exact same path the Pharisees are at with religious issues. 
And it is a subtle thing. But the thing that you see Jesus confronting right here in this story is the idea of the self-righteousness of the Pharisee to think they're better than somebody else because of the position they hold. And my challenge to you is, it has no place in the kingdom of God. Whether it's religion or anything, the second we start to believe we're superior to somebody else, that we no longer have the mind that was in Christ, who was a servant, and came to seek and to serve. And, and we missed the boat of what this whole thing's about. So I was really challenged this week with this idea of, you know what? I've got to get to the point that I can go, well, I'm glad that's your opinion, and I'm glad that you see it that way, and Lord bless you, we're still the same. No. You just need to give them more knowledge and convince them that your way's right. No. And humility. And the attitude of being a servant. I don't want that self-righteousness to take root in my life in any way, shape, or form. Because ultimately, it will turn into anger and bitterness, and it will destroy me. And I started to realize that, you know what? We're in a culture right now where that's what's being bred. It plays out across all spectrums of our culture right now. Where we have one group that thinks they're better than another group because of this. And we're getting more and more entrenched in it. And we're becoming more and more adamant about our positions. And it's going to make it very difficult for people to see Christ in us when all they can see is our anger and our frustration and our bitterness and our desire to prove us superior to them. And we got to be careful here, folks. This parable condemns the self-righteous attitude of the Pharisees. Some people have called this the parable of the loving father, which I like a lot better. Because the story in this is how the father responds to us, regardless of our background. He embraces us all, even if we smell like pig. And he has a problem with those of us who can't rejoice when a lost brother is found. And so we don't want to go down those roads. So I end this morning with this. Jesus concludes the stories of the lost things by talking about a father's love for his children. In this story, we're challenged to think about the things that anger us. Last week, we talked about what, makes, what brings you joy. You know what the question this week is? What makes you angry? I'll tell you a lot about your heart. Jesus reminds us that the Father welcomes everyone who comes to him in repentance and without demand. May each of us reflect God's love, grace, and kindness in all we do. May we all rid ourselves of any self-righteousness that allows us to think we're better than anyone else. And that everyone is deserving of God's love. Let's pray. Lord, use us, help us. Such an easy road to go down. Lord, many of us find ourselves in this trap. May we change it this week. May we honor you in the way that we think, in the way that we respond, in the way that we interact with others. And Lord, may you use us in all we say and do this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen.